injustice, the exploitation or oppression of innocent and defenseless people, these are terrible problems in our world. When we hear or read stories of things like human trafficking, sex slavery, mass rape, child abuse, we shudder and want to look away. But a commitment to God's justice requires that instead we pay attention, that we pray, and then that we do something. But what can we do? Well, we'll talk about that today on Groundwork. Stay tuned. From Words of Hope and Reframe Media, this is Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. Scott, this is the second program now in our series on biblical justice. And we the idea for this series really came out of a book published in 2016, co-authored by Bethany Hanke Huang and Kristen Didi Johnson, uh, who happens to be a friend. And so uh, it's a good book. It's called The Justice Calling. We're going to be talking about concepts, the, uh, about the biblical idea of justice in this program. And then in the next two programs, the last two of the series, we welcome Kristen Johnson to join us and lead us in our further exploration of this subject. So in the first program, we established biblically that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this snug link between the righteousness of God, morality, goodness as God defines it, and justice in our world, linguistically, biblically, theologically, the Bible again and again says, you want to know what it means to live a life of justice? Look to God and do what you see in God. And for us Christians now, as we saw in the last program from the New Testament, all the righteousness of God is now concentrated in Jesus, and we receive that righteousness as a gift when the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts after we're baptized. Uh, so that was our first program. And now in this program, we, we want to explore a little bit uh, how that living out of justice will find expression through our prayer life, through our actions, uh, through our obedience to the law of God. So we, we really talked, of, as you said, about that linkage between God's character, God's righteousness, and uh, justice or righteousness in the world, and how it's more than just criminal justice. It's more exactly. than just punishing crime or trying to... Uh, catch wrongdoers or, or put them away or protect, you know, society from the depredations of, of bad guys. But it's more action on behalf of those who can't defend themselves, the have-nots of the world, especially people who are mistreated or abused in some way. Because I think we all know the way the world works, sadly, a world that's been broken by sin, a world that's fallen, a world that's dominated by people, all of whom are in some way or another selfish. So these problems tend to snowball and become huge and intractable. And sometimes people contribute to their own exploitation. That, that's a reality as well. But more often they're victimized by the people who run the show, the people with power. The, so in the Bible, God's concern is especially expressed often for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Those, but those stand in right. for other categories. It's really anyone who can't defend themselves, who doesn't have access maybe, doesn't have the education, doesn't have the money, doesn't have the influence, doesn't have the pull, doesn't know the right people. You know, most of us, if we run into a problem, know somebody we can call, you know. Right. But what about others? So that's the category of people that we're thinking about. 
And Jesus even once told a parable about somebody like that, just to uh, show that indeed uh, Jesus is deeply connected to the Old Testament and to thinking about orphans, widows, and uh, strangers in our midst. Luke 18, uh, this well-known parable, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Well, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Great so, story. That That is a great story. It's I a great that. parable, and it's often one that trip people up a little bit because uh, we like to try to make one-to-one -one neat correspondences and parables between real-life figures and others. And in this parable, it kind of looks like God is equal to an unjust judge who doesn't fear God nor care for people. Well, you don't want to quite make, make that uh, tight linkage. Obviously, God is not an unjust judge. But having an unjust judge here is to make a larger point. And Jesus often did this. It was often called the ad minior maius way of arguing. arguing. Oh, don't, now you're throwing Latin again. I know. Scott. But from the little to the big. And so here Jesus is saying. I like to call it the how much more argument. How yeah. much more. <laughs> but, right, if even an unjust judge in this world will give people justice if they keep at it long enough, how much more won't God, who isn't unjust, give justice when we are persistent, when we keep pursuing it. And that seems to be the idea. Keep at it. Keep at it. Justice is important to God. It should be important to us, so keep at it. The other place where we can go wrong, I think, in, in interpreting this parable is to say, well, it's really about prayer, and the, the message Jesus seems to be sending us is, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. You know, Just keep on asking for whatever it is that you want, that you're, you're bringing to God, healing, a better job, a new house, a new car. Just keep on asking until he finally relents and gives it to you. And God isn't like that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what Jesus is setting up as the message here. Notice that it's justice that this widow is crying for. And she's the paradigm of the defenseless, of the helpless. Where are the male relatives in this story? Nowhere to be seen. Yeah. She's alone. She's a widow. The judge uh, twice we're told he, he neither fears God nor respects people. He doesn't care about human opinion, about public opinion. He doesn't care about religion. But she just keeps at him crying for justice. And how much more will God not give justice to those who cry to him? So it's really about a persistence of faith of belief that God will deliver and uh, that we need to keep praying. We need to keep crying out to him for him to act, for the judgment to come when he will vindicate those who've been mistreated and abused. And again, the fact that justice is front and center in this particular parable tells us everything we need to know uh, in terms of Jesus continuing to link himself up with the Old Testament prophets. In our first program of this series, we looked at prophets like Micah and Amos, and Jesus is right there with them. Uh, God is invested in justice. God wants to see justice flourish on the earth. So we want to look at ways that we can pray the way that widow did and cry for justice. And we're going to turn there in just a moment.
what does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. And we're talking about justice, the second part of a four-part series on justice, Dave. And one of the things we want to focus in on this segment kind of got set up a little bit uh, in the previous segment with the parable uh, of the persistent widow in Luke 18. And that's how do we incorporate a sense of longing for justice into our prayer life? And in this still broken world, one of the ways a longing, a hankering for justice is going to show up is going to be through the biblical mode of lament. A very important idea in the Bible, one which is underrepresented, certainly in Christian worship, much of it, and even in our own personal lives, our devotional lives. But prayers of lament play such a big role in Scripture. And lament isn't just crying, uh, you know. It isn't just being sad. It's a specific way of praying that we see in Scripture that ought to be triggered by the circumstances in the world as we see it in its brokenness or in our own lives. The Psalms especially teach us how to pray like this. There's a whole book in the Old Testament we might point out called Lamentations. Lamentations, Uh, So we come to Psalm 74. It's questioning of God. And right in the first line, one of the characteristic words of biblical lament is the word why. So the psalmist cries out, God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the nation you purchased long ago. Turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins, all this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. He's crying out, he's lamenting for the the way the temple in Jerusalem has been burned. And then he goes through this These verses that describe how that happened, your foes roared. They behaved like men wielding axes. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. And we're given no signs from God. No prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. I love that last verse. If he were speaking in contemporary terms, he'd say, God, take your hands out of your pockets. You're just standing there watching this. Do something. Why, God? Why don't you stop this? And, of course, this is a perfectly legitimate way to talk to God. And one of the one of the reasons, I think, Dave, you mentioned earlier that we don't lament much in our public worship services, we don't make room for lament, is I think some people have concluded it's not polite. You can't yell at God. You can't ask God why. You can't ask God how long. I mean, just, you know, just take it. God's sovereign and you're not. And But, but the Bible says, no, 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 no. If you think there's injustice, if you think the evil are getting away with something, you've got to say that to God. You've got to lament. And so it is expected, biblically speaking, that a good bit of our prayer life, and indeed something like, I don't know, 30%, 35% of the Psalms, of the 150 Psalms, are Psalms of lament. Clearly, God expects to hear from us if we think something is amiss. And so it's perfectly okay to lament. And in a world as filled with injustice as this one is, 
I think the church should be lamenting a whole lot more. And one of the ways we might do that is if we let ourselves become more aware of some of the things you mentioned at the top of this program, Dave. There's horrible, even in our own country and in our own communities, of sex trafficking and human trafficking, abuse of people, exploitation of those who are already poor. If those don't make us say to God, how long before these people see justice, then something's wrong with us. Yeah, and actually one of the strengths, I think, of the book Huang and Johnson wrote, The Justice Calling, is that it gives many examples, um, many stories, uh, many illustrations, even some statistics about things that are actually happening today in various parts of our world, uh, some of them in our own countries, that are just wrong, so terribly wrong that they make us cry out, why, God, why don't you stop this? How can you permit this to go on? Just as the psalmist did when he looked and saw things that weren't consistent with God's character. We keep coming back to this idea. Justice is a reflection of the character of God, the righteousness of God. So where it's rampant, where injustice is rampant in the world, we kind of expect God to act, and we call him to do it. And, of course, that is a a challenge uh, for the contemporary church. And one of the things uh, that—so I I work at Calvin Theological Seminary, and I work closely with the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship at Calvin College, along with its leaders uh, like John Whitfleet and Kathy Smith and Kristen Verhulst. And one of the things we've emphasized at our annual symposium on worship in recent years is that we need, particularly as a kind of an insular, isolated North American church, we need to learn— learn how to pray globally. And one of the things that's going to be required of a pastor or a worship leader to compose prayers globally is you got to read the news. Uh, you got to know what Christians in Pakistan are going through. You need to know what Christians in South Sudan are going through. And when we become aware of the injustice of the world, the genocide in Darfur, the slaughter of Christians uh, uh, in, in so many places of the world, as well as just overall government injustice in so many countries— Well, becoming aware of that is the first step toward incorporating it in congregational prayers. And if you do that, you too will be joining the psalmist and saying, how long, Lord? How long do those poor people have to suffer under the yoke of that dictator over there, over that government that takes international aid and buys new cars for the president instead of grain for the children? How Mm, long? Right. Well, and you've just said another great uh, question. You've put your finger on it uh, in the prayers of lament in the Bible. They ask why, but they also ask how long. So we read this in the psalm of Psalm 6, for example. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? How long, Lord, says the psalmist in Psalm 13. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Which loops right back to the parable of Luke 18. Give me justice against my adversary. Right. And if your ears are tuned to a New Testament frequency, especially that word adversary suggests the enemy uh, behind all human enemies, the devil who is behind so much of this injustice in the world. And again, if you're looking for biblical resonance, how about that phrase, how long, lest anybody think, well, that was just Old Testament stuff. Those are the Psalms. That was a long time ago. No, no, no. Remember these lines from Revelation 6, 9 to 11, when John says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge their blood. 
And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So there's a, a, a New Testament vision of what's going on in heaven right now, right. where the martyred Christians are also picking up the language of the Psalms, how long yeah. before you make it right, God? How long? And the fact is that lament is important. First, I guess, because it's honest. You've made that point, Scott. But also because it shows we haven't given up faith. We haven't lapsed into cynicism or inaction or despair. Like that woman, we're persistent in our cries. You know, Jesus ended that story with a very haunting question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And what he really means, I think, is will he still find us longing for and praying for justice both in terms of this world and ultimately of the world to come will he find us looking for god to come and deliver and bring his peace the bible can help us not only pray for that but look for it and work for it as well and the answer may surprise you how and why we can do that and we're going to turn there in just a moment we're glad you've joined our groundwork conversation If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast. You're listening to Groundwork and this program on justice. And we've been talking uh, about, we just were talking about praying, and particularly praying in the key of lament, decrying the injustice we see and asking God to act. How long, O God, before you're going to set things to right? But, so you chided me for doing Latin earlier, Dave, but I'm going to do it again. Ora at labora is a uh, well-known phrase of the church. We pray and we work. Uh, Ora et labora, prayer and work. So for this final segment, we want to turn to the work part. And what can we do practically and where do we look for guidance in uh, not just praying for God to bring more justice, but actively bringing it ourselves? Frankly, I don't think you can sincerely pray for something and not also want to try to do something about it, to be, in a sense, an answer to your own prayers. So where do we look for guidance in seeking justice? We said in the first program that God's character is really the ruler against which we measure all ideas of justice. We, we kind of line it up like the plumb line with who he is and what he's about. And he revealed his character in some very practical ways in the laws that he gave his mm. people Israel uh, in the Old Testament in particular. I mean, we know that the, the whole law can be summarized, love your neighbor as yourself, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that. But in specific ways, as we get down to particulars, if we turn to some of those clean pages at the, toward the beginning of the Old Testament, you know, the, the ones we skip over because it seems so full of mundane, even trivial things in books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there are wonderful principles and, and regulations that can guide us in the pursuit of justice in our own world and day. 
And again, even though these were Old Testament prescriptions, they Jesus made it clear that there's got to be continuity in the church today. And if you look at the law of God, one of the very interesting things that comes up again and again and again in Leviticus and in the law of God is that God wanted Israel to, as much as possible, create a level playing field for everybody. And the only way in a broken world where we're all natively selfish now the only way uh, that was going to happen is if all of us took extra steps to make the playing field level. So if you were a farmer, you weren't supposed to cut the edges of your field. Leave it uh, so that people like Ruth, the biblical character of mm-hmm. Ruth, could actually go and glean. And in terms of uh, not abusing the earth or not even abusing other creatures and giving everybody a level playing field, there was the Sabbath and the year of Jubilee. And I always saw it so interesting that God's desire for everybody to be treated well was that both the Sabbath laws and the Jubilee laws say not just, hey, you human beings, you people, you know, you man, woman, um, you know what, you know, one day a week uh, and one year every 50, you just take it easy and take care of little old you. No, God always says, oh, and be sure your animals get a day off. Mm-hmm. And in the Jubilee year, let the land rest. You know, just just let the land take some time off. It's like land, animals, but yeah, God wants everybody to kind of have a fair shot. Right. So these positive actions that the people of God were commanded to do that sometimes strike us as being impractical, you know, wow, what are you going to eat? If you don't plant crops, in the seventh year and you let it lie fallow, well, God said, I'll take care of you. It's going to produce enough so that you'll be able to have enough. It was really a means of practically exercising your trust that God would provide. The same with giving, uh, with tithing. You know, that's not a law in the sense of, boy, if you don't do this, God's going to get you. It's a way of saying, I trust that God will provide my needs and that I can be generous and give to the poor. I can give so that others can have enough. And the Sabbath day, many of us were raised in kind of a legalistic Sabbatarian culture, Mm -hmm. uh, which has gone away, perhaps for the worse, not for the better. Uh, But it seemed to us this kind of onerous, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. God really intended as a very positive thing to make sure you didn't abuse your your workers. Right. Uh, Give them a day off so that they don't work seven days in and out for you. Uh, you, you can't treat them like robots or like machines. You, you even have to give the animals who plow for you that seventh day off so they can rest. And it's all for human flourishing. It's all for their benefit. Interestingly, we've pointed this out before on Groundwork. We know that in the Old Testament, there are two versions of God's law, Exodus 20, and then it gets repeated for the new generation in Deuteronomy 5. They're identical except for one part, and that's the law on the Sabbath. In uh, the more familiar version, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord your God created the heavens and the earth. In Deuteronomy it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for remember you were slaves in Egypt, and God led you out of there. In other words, Sabbath is the one commandment that ties in with the Bible's two biggest themes, creation and redemption, creation and salvation, which just shows you how important it is that we structure our world and our lives so that Everybody gets that break. Everybody is treated well. Everybody has a chance for rest and through that for delight and through that for flourishing. Yeah, anti-exploitation. So pretty obviously, if you know the Ten Commandments uh, and if everyone did obey the Ten Commandments, uh, there'd be a lot less injustice in the world. You wouldn't lie or cheat or steal. 
uh, you wouldn't kill, you wouldn't hurt, uh, and and you could expand all of those, each of those commandments too. You'd honor God, you'd worship. But even the more obscure rules and regulations, many of them, most of them, were in one way or another pointed toward human flourishing, toward the the establishment of shalom, toward making the world the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, even those laws that said, don't insult a deaf person and don't put something in the path of a blind person. Those are, that's in the Bible. Uh, These little laws, which kind of add up to be, be nice, and yet... And take care of the needs of of the handicapped, we might say, very contemporary. That's exactly what God wants us to do, for justice means shalom and the flourishing of all God's people. Well, thank you for joining our Groundwork Conversation. I'm Scott Jose, and I'm here with Dave Bast. We always want to know about future programs, so go to our website, groundworkonline.com, and you can make suggestions for future topics and passages. Groundwork is a joint production by Reframe Media and Words of Hope. Our recording engineer is Dodd S. Morris. Our post-production supervisor is Mark Drenth. Our studio relations manager is Christy Prince. Our content and managing producer is Courtney Jacob. And our executive producer is Stephen Coster. <laughs>